Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. In this podcast, I'm happy to have Greg Thomas. This will be our 10th podcast together. We've been covering an ongoing series of vital topics on the subject of leadership development. Greg is a business consultant, author, keynote speaker, and a personal life coach that I have known for a long time. As a reminder, you can learn more about Greg's training skills on his YouTube site. Simply type in Leadership Excellence on a YouTube homepage search bar, and you will find him. In the past, we have spoken with Greg about the importance of personal leadership. That's where we started. Then we covered the 12 principles of personal leadership. Then we spoke about servant leadership, and most recently we began to discuss how to have a fulfilling and productive day. This actually has been a very, very popularly accepted part of this series. Greg, welcome to our 10th podcast together. Well, thank you, Vic. It's hard to believe we've done 10 of these together, but uh, looking back on them, I think they've all been not only a lot of fun, but hopefully helpful and uh, motivational to the people who've been able to listen to the podcast. It's always a pleasure to spend some time with you. Well, it's always a pleasure to spend time with you, Greg. I've known you for a long time. I've always enjoyed your speaking and your motivational manner, and you always have that smile. <laughs> you always make everybody feel good <laughs> in the audience. And we have appreciated having you 10 times out of the 58 podcasts that we have done. So oh. more than uh, 20% of our podcasts have been with you, and I enjoy doing them with you because you are so easy to speak to. But let's start here with giving us a brief recap of what we spoke about the last time so our newer listeners can catch up with us today. Okay. Well, we started last time by asking the question, why do so many people struggle to feel like they're accomplishing something every day or even some days? People do feel a sense of struggle in having a day that they want to be as fulfilling as a day that uh, encourages their passions, that gives them hope, that gives them motivation. And the reason that doesn't happen is that most people don't live life intentionally. And it gets back to making our own choices. And we either make our own choices or we allow time and chance to govern our lives. And unfortunately, most people have time and chance governing their lives. They get up, they go through a ritual of unproductive steps and unproductive habits. And we were designed to live on purpose and for a purpose. So to get the most out of a, out of a day, if we want to feel like we're accomplishing something, but we want to feel that each and every day is fulfilling and productive. We have to make sure that we design that day to live on purpose and for a purpose and just not allow shiny objects or the media or anything else to take our time, to consume our time, to waste our time. We have to lead and guide and direct it ourselves. I think last time I may have mentioned that old Scottish proverb, what may be done at any time will be done at no time. Mm -hmm. So we have to plan our day. And so that's the first reason people have a lack of personal fulfillment. Um, and the second reason is they don't understand that there are habits or tools, we'll call some of them disciplines, that will help us to turn an average day into a great day and help us to turn a passion into personal fulfillment. And what we're talking about is the heart of life coaching, which is something I do and enjoy doing with many people. 
So we want to talk about, and, and we began last time talking about some of the tools that we can use to begin to make our days more fulfilling, more enriching. And we started out with talking about getting up in the morning and starting out with the right habits. We want to create the right environment that's going to set the standard for our whole day. And that begins with waking up with gratitude, focusing on what we have in life rather than what we don't have, being thankful for family and friends and the things that we are given this life. And even if we're struggling with a problem, with gratitude, we can find things that we're grateful for in that situation. Even if that situation is causing anxiety, even if it's a problem we're struggling with, with gratitude, we can find things to be appreciative for, even in very difficult situations. So look at the environment, look at what we're going through, look at what we've experienced, and realize that we have a lot to be grateful for. And then we talked about beginning our day, approximately the, the first 30 minutes or so, uh, to take some quiet time for reflection. And this is a great time if you're a spiritual person. We talked last time about uh, doing religious devotions and our 12th principle of uh, personal leadership was on spirituality. So people can go back and your listeners can go back and listen to that podcast that we did on that topic. And then just taking some time with our favorite beverage. For me, it happens to be a cup of coffee and take a few minutes early on. First thing to think about your upcoming day with no noise, no news, no emails yet, no other distractions, just sitting there reflecting and meditating on what this day is going to bring, what we hope to get uh, accomplished on this day, and realizing that too many distractions can dominate our lives if we don't intervene and if we don't choose not to allow those things to do that to us. So this is a time to reflect. It's a time to begin mentally the right kind of an emotional environment to prepare for a great day. And Greg, I think that this is one reason why the last podcast was very, very well received mm -hmm. because it was so practical. It gave people specific things that they could do, such as you know being grateful and to have this quiet time and other advice that they're looking for. People have asked me, when is the next podcast coming? So here it is. Oh, oh that's wonderful. And we continue talking about starting the day off with a few positive affirmations. And this is the way that we rewire our thinking and help to minimize the negativity of our self-talk. And for most people, about 80% of our self-talk eventually degenerates into a bad memory, a painful episode, or something that's negative. So we do have to watch and guide our self-talk very carefully. And we talked about that in a previous podcast together. So the way you overcome that is you repeat a few positive affirmations. You, we say something to ourselves like, I am blessed. I can do it. If we're meditating, reflecting on something that's going to be difficult for the day, I can do it. I can try again if I make a mistake. If I make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. I can do it. I'm going to make the best effort I can in doing this today. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to have an awesome day. These are positive self-affirmations that we can repeat to ourselves. 
there are some uh, great religious scriptures for those who are religious people. I think I mentioned last time one of my favorite, and that was Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, where the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Wow, is that a positive affirmation, mm-hmm. right? So, Absolutely. Uh, there are a number that we can use, and it should be personal. It should be something that has meaning to us. It should be a self-affirmation that really energizes us and connects with us. And sometimes we have to write our own in order for that to happen. And then as the day goes on, the morning goes on, and we begin to meet our loved ones, greet them with a smile, show affection, start out your day with raw joy and enthusiasm because that's contagious and it's going to have a positive influence on our other family members, whether it be our spouse or our children or someone just visiting with us, uh, spent the night with us, maybe as a guest, that raw joy and enthusiasm is contagious. And we want to, again, create this environment early in the morning so we can continue to carry out that throughout the day. And then I'm a big proponent of really good music. And I'll define good music as music that's personal, because I know everyone has different taste in music, that motivates you, that energizes you. And for us as individuals, it may be something different. And create a playlist or a number of playlists. I have playlists for when I just really want to relax. Usually when I'm trying to focus on a document or something, that playlist will be all instrumentals because I just don't do well focusing on words when someone's singing in the background. But there are other times when I'm not doing that kind of work that I'll have vocal music on in the background and something that picks picks me up and something that energizes me, something that inspires me. So that's really important. Continuing to read some inspirational quotations, pick up the phone, spend a few minutes talking to a close friend. Again, I want to emphasize the importance of avoid listening to local news first thing in the morning. It's very negative. Uh, You're going to hear things that are probably going to upset you, and that's their way of controlling us. Good ratings require them to focus on bad news, to hook us, to pull us into wanting to watch more. And we just have to resist that and not play their game and not allow ourselves to be pulled into that level of negativity. So again, in the morning, we're setting a momentum that will carry us through the entire day. You know, and you, you did talk about uh, setting a motivating environment that's pre-planned almost mm-hmm. uh, from the night before, an intentional motivating environment of things that you absolutely feel like, I've got to get this done first, otherwise it'll hang over my head for mm-hmm. most of the morning and, I'd, and be neglected. I, I do feel like that's very important. And I, I find myself on a little piece of paper along with my to-do list, which is the thing I kind of really live with, Microsoft to-do, is um, things mm-hmm. that I absolutely, positively must start my day with. And I do it intentionally because if I get those things done, maybe one pesky thing and maybe one, uh, you know, rather routine thing, mm-hmm. it, it'll make me feel successful in making me want oh, to do, sure. do, do the next things. But there are certain things, like I agree with you, that are absolute musts. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that for, again, a person who is embracing their spirituality, who wants to see life in 3D, again, as we mentioned 
in our previous podcast on the 12th principle of uh, personal leadership, we want to, we don't want to be a spiritual cyclops in life. We want to see life in three dimension in its richest, fullest capacity. And we need to embrace our spirituality to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. That is certainly the case. And you lead into the next thing, kind of the final segment we talked about last time, and that is indeed working off of a plan, creating a task list. Again, if we don't have a task list, Vic, what we'll do is we will just react to every shiny object that jumps out at us each day, and we'll be running and chasing our tail rather than getting productive things done. So work off a task list. I always encourage people to put the essentials and priority items first and to start with the hardest or the one that you don't really want to do. And then after you do that, the rest of them will really seem easy. We were chuckling last time about the famous quote by Mark Twain and how it, it engendered a business term called Eat the Frog. And Mark Twain said, eat a live frog first thing in the morning and nothing worse will happen to you the rest of the day. <laughs> so, you know, jump that difficult task, do that quickly, do that right away. And then the rest of your day will seem very, very easy and work through that task list. Sure, there's going to be interruptions. And yes, there are going to be emergencies and we have to allow for that. An emergency is certainly that and it's legitimate and we need to get off our task lists and do uh, and perform to solve an emergency when they arise. But that really should be rare. If we don't have a plan, we're going to work on distractions all day long. And that's what most people show happens. And you know, Greg, one thing about distractions mm -hmm. that uh, people make a living off of distracting others. Right now, it's so easy to do that with uh, mm -hmm. mar marketing techniques that you know track people, oh, sure. attract people for what, what what they do and read. They may not see mm -hmm. their emails, but they can see the subjects that they have discussed. And I know that I've had a you know problem little problem with my knee. All of a sudden, I'm getting all kinds of ads for lifts and elevators <laughs> and walk-in bathtubs. Everything. I mean, I didn't want these things. Yeah. How do they know all that stuff? But I find myself you know curiously looking you know at. at at these things because it's there. And my wife and I have said we've had enough of these things because they can suck mm -hmm. up a good part of an hour as you go from one to another to another. And, you know, I've been working, sure. I've, I've been working with media in uh, trying to work with people with more of a push uh, on the website. And I just realized mm -hmm. that what I'm doing is kind of coming into that same whole thing from the standpoint of being a distractor of people <laughs> to get them interested <laughs> in, in my thing. So it's just the way people do things, but it could almost become um, a condition that is addictive and difficult to even come out of. So uh, I'm glad you brought that up because it's not only just avoiding distractions, but absolutely turning off distractions because they will be there. They will try to uh, seek a spot in your consciousness to get their message to you. Oh, absolutely. The, the internet is famous for that. I mean, we're all guilty of sitting down at a search term on Google, right? You know, you look at um, perennial plants and the next thing you know, it's two hours later and you're looking at couches. Well, <laughs> it, it just has a way, right, of just sucking you in. And the next thing you know, you're hooked. And YouTube also is famous for that. Now, I have a YouTube site, but YouTube uh, has a recommended videos, usually on the right-hand side of the screen. Their goal is to keep you on YouTube as long 
as humanly possible because they want to show you those ads before their videos. So you may go on there with the, all the intention of specifically seeing one video, but their goal is to have you there for the next two to three hours watching 25 different videos and their algorithm is very, very clever in knowing exactly how to pull us in mm -hmm. and how to gobble up our time. So you, you bring out an excellent point. Again, uh, we would choose in this case, using this scenario, we would choose and say, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to look at this video and then I'm going to leave. And you would do that intentionally. You would connect, you would watch that video and you would just promise yourself and make a, a disciplined effort not to be sucked in to watching all of these other videos and killing the next hour when you have really important things to do. Mm -hmm. Another thing, and from working from a plan, and recent studies are indicating this more than ever before, is as human beings, we really don't multitask very well. For a while, the big thing was learn multitasking skills, learn how to do five things at one time and to be distracted and go from this activity to this activity, then do a third activity, then do the first activity. And, and recent studies show that though females multitask better than males, as human beings, we really don't multitask very well. We waste a lot of mental energy and time switching back and forth from one unfinished task to another task and then back to another task. So the moral of this story is we're best if we can to choose something on that task list, to go ahead and tackle it and get it done. And unless there's a legitimate reason, maybe we're waiting for a phone call back or something of that nature, try to finish each task rather than trying to multitask a number of items at one time. And that's kind of how we ended our last podcast, Vic. I quoted from Lewis Carroll, who once wrote, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Once again, we emphasized that we really have two choices in life. And we have two choices each and every day. Either we're choosing where we want to go, what we want to do, or we're allowing time and chance and the media and shiny objects and everything else to take over our whole day and to draw us towards it rather than the things that we have chosen to so, do. And that's kind of how we wrapped up the last podcast. So as the morning ends and the day goes on, our listeners are anxious to hear more of what you have to say. What are some of the other things that we can do to have a fulfilling and productive day? Well, once again, let me emphasize that real importance of creating that motivating environment first thing because that's going to help us throughout the rest of the day that morning environment being positive uh, being purpose driven is going to influence how much we put how much potential we're going to get out of the entire day vic if you put a baby shark in a 10 gallon aquarium it's going to grow to about eight inches and then it's going to stop growing if you take that same baby shark and you placed it in the ocean, it's going to grow to eight feet rather mm. than eight inches. Mm. A small confined environment changed its potential. And the same is true for us. If we're starting out the morning negative, if we're starting out grumpy, if we're starting out some way limiting ourselves, then we're going to 
set the rest of the day in a small, confined environment, and we're going to mute the potential for the rest of that day. So it's so important to establish that positive, motivating environment and to certainly watch our self-talk. We've talked about that before in other podcasts. We have to overcome that negativity with positive self-affirmations, with being aware the negativity is setting in in our minds and rejecting it and diverting it and replacing those with other thoughts that are motivating, that are positive, that are encouraging. And by doing that, we have created, first thing in the morning, a motivating environment that indeed can influence what we do the rest of the day. Have you ever heard the phrase, I just don't have enough time to do it, <laughs> or there never seems to be enough time? I'm sure you have. I've, I've heard it from clients, and I've heard it from people most of my life. I, th I, thought, I, the... I thought I invented it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't invent it. But, you know, if you worked 70 hours every week, and few people do that. I don't work 70 hours every week, but even if you worked 70 hours every single week and you slept eight hours every single night, you would consume about 126 hours with those two activities. And since there's a total of 168 hours in a week, that leaves 42 hours over a full normal work week to do whatever it is you really, really want to do, even if you worked 70 hours every week and slept eight hours a night. And yes, I realize uh, we have to eat and we have to uh, practice self-care and take care of ourselves and clean ourselves and we need to communicate with our loved ones and spend time with them. I understand all that. But the moral of the story is that there's more time available to do the things we want to do than we sometimes admit or realize we we have to be careful not to use that phraseology as just a reason not to do the things we need to do and oftentimes we'll use that phraseology because we are overwhelmed we spend too much time on low payoff activities or we spend too much time chasing those shiny objects rather than focusing and spending time on the things that are really important so I want to talk about the difference between high payoff activities and low payoff activities, mm -hmm. because this is really important as we're going through the day. High payoff activities in our lives are something that connects with our stated values and goals. And the characteristics of something that's a high importance payoff, payoff activity is it's directly related to our goals. Usually it can't be delegated. It's so important. It's something that we have to do ourselves or feel that we need to do ourselves. And high importance payoff activities are oftentimes unpleasant, difficult, or risky. Because to take us from point A to point B, there's usually a level of risk or difficulty involved. After all, that's why it's high payoff. So that's high payoff activities, and that's one important area of our life, and frankly, the, the things that we should be focusing on. And then there are the low importance payoff activities in life. And these are things that we do sometimes habitually, but they offer very little in return. And their characteristics usually are they're not related to our goals. Oftentimes they're related to someone else's goal, but not our goals. 
They're mm-hmm. often comfortable and uncreative, low payoff activities. And they're usually not risky. Often they are routine and trivial and habitual and something that we've been doing for a long time that we keep continue doing, something that's outlived its purpose that we continue to do because we've always done it. And those end up being low importance payoff activities. So as we go through the day, we can learn to redeem time for our own professional and personal needs by beginning to separate and we can even create a list if it's a real problem going on in our lives right now the high importance payoff activities from the low importance payoff activities and the focus on the high payoff activities stop spending so much time on the low importance payoff activities so we can review our habits i've had clients tell me that they've been getting magazine subscriptions, a particular magazine for 20 years, for example, they don't even read it. They've outgrown it. They had an interest 20 years ago, and that interest is long gone, and they're still subscribing to magazines and feel an obligation to thumb through the magazines since they're paying for it. I've had other clients say they joined clubs 15, 20 years ago, and they pay membership dues, and they stopped going to the clubs because they outgrew them. And here it's still eating up their time, eating up their resources. And these have become low important payoff activities, even though at one time they may have served us, served us well. Sometimes it's a subscribe to a newsletter that you get ex- so excited mm-hmm. about and you read two or right. three of them, but then you don't want to unsubscribe. It's easy to unsubscribe. And actually, yeah, absolutely. not too long ago, I kind of went through all the stuff that I had. I said, I don't need this. I don't need that. It was good at one time, but mm-hmm. there's so many sure. people that want you to hook you by sub- getting you to subscribe to them. Yeah, and it's, it's as we grow and mature, our interests change. And hobbies or interests that we had 20 years ago, uh, we may have learned all we want to know about that topic or subject, or we may have moved on to higher level hobbies or goals or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. And that's why it's important every once in a while to sit down and analyze those high important payoff activities from the others and begin to focus and make sure we're focusing on the truly important things. And this also includes learning to kindly say no to ourselves and to others. A number of times I have people come to me from the community and others who ask me to do something that frankly would just be a a large dedication of my time. And I'll tell them I'm really flattered. I appreciate the opportunity, but that's not my wheelhouse or I'm not really good at that. After all, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And why involve yourself in some task or activity that someone asks you to do if you're not really that good at it? Uh, Usually there are other people who can do a much better job. So learning to kindly say no to ourselves and that's self-discipline and that's saying no to ourselves that we're not being pulled into those lower importance payoff activities, saying no to others who are are sincere and maybe they do need our help and uh, maybe we could help in a certain way, but it might be a task or an activity that we're not really suited for. There's nothing wrong with saying no. And I know some personality types really struggle 
to say no to other people. But again, if you're unwilling to do that, you're going to eventually end up with a lot of low importance payoff activities. You know, Greg, one thing that I think might be very helpful is if you could give us some specifics, uh, because people say, you know, uh, things that people could identify with, this is important, this is not important. I know that many things are, are determined by the kind of person, what the interest is. But I, I do know that I have things that I'm good at, but then I find myself doing things that are, are less important because they're easy and you feel like you've accomplished something even though mm-hmm. it, it's not the, the cost-reward uh, thing. But perhaps you could give us some specifics. People have been listening to this series of podcasts as far away as Africa <laughs> who are you know listening with great, inter- mm-hmm. uh, great interest to this and how, how they can improve their life and how they can improve getting something out of the 24 hours that they have facing them. Sure. Well, I can, I probably could best define it by looking at some examples in my own life. Uh, I have people I've sat on a few uh, corporate boards, for example. And as a result of that, I would have many others come to me and say, will you please sit on our board? And even though I enjoy sitting on corporate boards, I don't happen to believe that's the best use of my talents or my time. So while serving on a couple, I was unwilling to serve on a third or a fourth or a fifth. Um, And I kindly said no to those opportunities. So again, you have to look at what's going on in your life and what you're good at and what you find fulfilling and a high importance payoff activity and make sure that these other things, which are just frankly shiny objects in many cases, might be sincere, might be a good cause, might be something that's noble, but it's not necessarily something that we either have an interest in or that we have a particular talent for. So it uh, could be a number of situations. It may be a family member that comes and asks you to help them put on a roof. Well, I can barely walk on flat ground. So for me to get up on someone's roof and risk my life Uh, And frankly, I don't know how to put on a roof. I'm probably the last person you want putting on your roof because I'm A, I'm klutzy on top of an angle. And number two, I just wouldn't know how to attach the shingle correctly to the roof. So even though I might be helpful when someone asked me that, I would actually be doing them a favor to say, you know, that's not really what I'm gifted for. Now, maybe while you're putting on a roof, I'll come over and bring you beverages or, uh, you know, I'll come over and help hand shingles up the ladder to people who are on the roof. But I'm going to kindly say no to that activity because it's just not something that I do well or I would feel comfortable doing. And so that's another just a small example of making sure that we're separating those high payoff activities from the low payoff activities. And you shouldn't feel guilty. Some, you shouldn't no. feel guilty for not, you know, climbing a roof mm-hmm. because you can't really you not do that don't do that in your day-to-day work when there are other people who do that type of thing and can do it well. Do not feel guilty if you decline something that is not your strength or is not a really good activity for you to get involved in, you can offer to do something else and help in a different way, but never feel guilty about saying no to, to something that you have a legitimate reason for saying no to. 
tying in with uh, the, the high payoff activities and the low payoff activities, I'm going to look at as our day goes on from a slightly different angle. And that is knowing the difference between something that's urgent and something that's important. First of mm. all, we're going to define something that's important. So something comes up and it's important. That means it's of much significant or consequence and something that's important, we need to act on it. We need to either do it immediately if it's more of an emergency situation, or we need to add it to our task list. And as we get to it, go ahead and take care of it because it's significant, because uh, it has consequence and we need to work on it. Now, the shiny object from being important is something that comes upon us that appears to be urgent. The word urgent means something that's pressing, something that's compelling us and makes us feel like we need to take immediate action on it or we need to give it our immediate attention. And usually it's other people who are trying to get us to do something that they want us to do. So they will make something seem to be urgent and we'll feel that pressure, almost that sense of anxiety to drop what we're doing and to do something because we're being compelled to do it. We're being pressed into immediate action by this sense of urgency. So we're allowing it to act on us. And the noise of that sense of urgency creates the illusion that it's important, where in essence, it's a, a pressing feeling that's being put upon us by something rather than truly being important. So know the difference and don't let urgent control your day and control all of your effectiveness and your ability to get things done. Some hardworking, very sincere people I know have acquired actually an urgency addiction. Their whole days are filled with people putting on them a sense of urgency. Few important things get done as they basically consume their day, even using a task list, working on urgent things that are, again, that feeling, that compelling of being pressed into action rather than things that are truly important. Now, what I do in my schedule is I, late afternoon, I have a period of time in which anything that comes in during the day that feels urgent and I know is not important, then I put that on my task list and I spend an hour in the afternoon taking care of those three or four urgent things that came in during the day, but I refuse to allow those to go to the top of my task list and to be treated as if they're important because there is a difference between something that's important and something that's urgency. One is of true significance and consequence, and we do need to act on it. And the other is just a compelling feeling or a pressing put upon us by the outside for us to take immediate action and attention on it. And that's usually to please someone else rather than a truly being. And one more thing about that, uh, Greg. Sure. Is that some leaders feel like they are great leaders because they're bold and always putting out fires. And somehow mm -hmm. that show, shows them to be a master of being able to steer the ship through <clears throat> icebergs and stormy seas. Well, yes and no. I find that people can make something very, very urgent where you drop things that you really need to be doing. Mm -hmm. Even boards. I don't know if you 
had this experience, like to be able to spend a lot of time on things that are of less importance. Sometimes they're a personnel matter, and they'll spend a lot of time on that. And then as far as talking about uh, strategic planning and that type of thing that takes really a lot of brain cells, you know, <laughs> that, that gets mm-hmm. put to the end of things. I, I, I have found that in my work with boards and my work with planning that way, that um, sometimes urgency is defined by the person who is uh, pushed into that uh, so that they can show or that they can present uh, mm-hmm. a, a way. One person was said to be, I remember back in the early days, uh, that he traveled around the world putting out fires. It looked great, you know. I mean, he went, out, went here, there, everywhere putting out fires. Well, half of them were started by him. But anyway. Well, sure, yeah, right. But, but, you know, it really wasn't as urgent to the running of the universe as, as, as was portrayed. So I think it's important, since we're talking about leadership, is to be able to consider what really is important for the future of the organization as as compared to what is, what is urgent that is sometimes put upon a person for effect. Vic, you bring up such an important point. I found out throughout my life, through my own personal life experience, is most executives who are so proud that they're putting out fires usually are the arsonist. <laughs> and, <laughs> and in order to feel good or to maintain autocratic control, they create or through negligence allow all of the smoke to become fires. So they get to put the fire out and fuel and show everyone that they're such a great leader. Uh, Great leaders uh, don't allow a lot of fires. Great leaders are intervening and setting the right culture and environment so that the smoke never becomes a fire in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, So you, you, you hit the nail right in the head there, Vic. That's, that's really a good point. Well, I feel like the leadership too is a person that who's a peacemaker Mm-hmm. It, it, it is a person that will not allow those things become urgent, but a person who has an environment around people that is, infl- is flammable, you know, where the slightest thing mm-hmm. sets those things off, really creates a lot of work for himself. When you earlier talked about the environment that we set for the day, we create the environment that oftentimes determines kind of mm-hmm. how, how, how things will go. There certainly will be crises. I have worked with crises sure. uh, a lot, mm-hmm. but I do know what crises are manufactured, uh, what crises are show, and what crises are genuine. So as, so as we go on and we move towards a fulfilling day, uh, we've moved from morning, we're now engaged in work, we're working off of our task list, we're, we're working off of that motivating environment that we created early in the day, we're focusing on things that are important, we're focusing on the high importance payoff activities, we're working through that task list, we're adding some tasks as the day goes on, as uh, things are brought to us as something else we need to do either later today or tomorrow or next week. And we need to prioritize those things. We need to remember the importance of taking some breaks throughout the day. We are human beings. We're not human doings. And the human mind needs to be refreshed about every 90 minutes is what the the latest uh, research that is looking at the way people work and how they perform and how they remain effective. Some people, it might be as low as 60 minutes. They need to get up and take a break. But we have to realize that the goal isn't to work, 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 work. We need to get up, walk around, 
take a look outside, engage in a brief conversation because we are social beings, get a favorite beverage. Studies are showing that a refreshed mind, in other words, just getting away from the tasks at hand is more productive and makes fewer mistakes than one who's focused constantly on a single task for three or four hours. I mean, I've known people who, you know, they're just going to sit down and grunt their way through it and no distractions and they skip lunch and they just sit down and they do it. And studies are showing that after about 90 minutes, our mind slows down, our body begins to get sluggish and slow down and it actually becomes very ineffective for us to continue working after that period of time. So you deserve your breaks, get up, walk around, take a look outside, look at that sunshine, breathe some fresh air, get your favorite beverage, and then go ahead and get back to work. And you'll find yourself being far, far more productive. They're saying today that sitting is the new smoking. So they're looking at human health and they're seeing in our biology, particularly as our Western cultures get more sedentary and we're spending more time in chairs than we ever did before in our history, they're seeing the very negative effects that constant sitting has all day long. So we need to take those breaks and we also need to make sure we're getting exercise in. That's very important with the kind of lifestyles uh, that we live today and taking breaks includes starting out the day with a good breakfast and stopping for lunch, not just gobbling down some chocolate candy bar, uh, you know, to push us through the next hour or two, but having a healthy lunch, having a good dinner, uh, communicating with our loved ones, wholesome food provides energy. And it's important for us to make sure that we indeed are taking those breaks. Okay. Yes. One more thing here is doing certain things at certain times during the day when you're, you're best at doing it. I find that I, I can only do creative things in the morning. Uh, I cannot huh. do creative things at night. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, at night yeah. I want to relax. <laughs> I just want to sit. Uh, I just want to talk. Uh, but sure. it's only in the morning that I can put together a plan where I can write something that um, uh-huh. is, is coherent and as sharp as it could be. But if it's at another time, I use those times for uh, doing tasks that are less demanding. Sure, sure, absolutely. And after all, if, if you're getting up five, six in the morning, you know, by uh, seven, eight o'clock at night, you've been up a whole day. So mm-hmm. it's only natural that you're going to want to slow down, that you're not going to want to expend a whole lot of energy, creative energy, at the end of a very long day. So I, I think you're pacing it well, Vic. You're you're showing a good balance there. You understand the way that you are. You're understanding your needs and what your capabilities are. And that's that's really great. And we all need to do that in our own lifestyles and our own energy levels. And I know some folks have mobility issues and some of the people listening to this are quite elderly, so they're limited on what they can do. So it really boils down to what you believe and understand that you can do making the best use of your time. And for some people, it may be late afternoon or early afternoon is the peak of their day to get things done. Some people are just really slow risers and it takes them a couple of hours to shake the cobwebs out of their heads and get their day started. And that's fine. We're all different. But understanding for ourselves what the best part of the day is and where we can get the most done and then scheduling things to do during that part of the day 
is really important. Another thing that they are discovering more than ever before is the importance that we take time every day to get in touch with nature. A recent study from the University of Exeter in England, a gentleman named Alex Smalley, said we have as Western populations become very disconnected from the natural world. And they're beginning to see that uh, through research that that affects us in a very negative way. We are wired to look outside and see the sunshine. We are wired to gain energy from taking a short walk, from smelling a flower, from looking at the richness of colors in nature. And studies are showing that spending time in nature can boost our mental health, almost as powerful as some drugs that are available on the market today for mental health. The latest research shows, for example, looking at something like a sunset or a sunrise can be an extra boost for our emotional state. Mm-hmm. And it's so important for us to do whatever we can to get in touch with nature. And even people like myself, now I live in Northern Ohio and we have some pretty difficult winters. We have months where there's nothing but snow on the ground outside, but we can have a number of indoor house plants. We can uh, make sure we're touching nature by looking at those plants every day, uh, when appropriate, watering them, allowing the the naturalness of that to purify the air in our rooms and to have our homes a little bit more of a living environment by having some indoor house plants that are appropriate for shade or bright sun or whatever. And this is the way that kind of like a hack for those of us that live in cold winter climates that we can use to make sure we're getting in touch with nature. Another Mm -hmm. hack that some studies have shown that I thought are quite interesting is if you have access to YouTube, you can actually look at some videos in 4k and our mind doesn't know the difference if you have a screen that's big enough you can watch a beautiful little nature scene uh, a park or a beach or mountains and the wind rustling through the trees and your mind will absorb that and get the same benefit as if you literally were there Mm. Uh, or anything video has a way of just pulling us in and um, making us part of that process. If you've ever watched people or looked at people who are watching movies, you can see their minds engage in the movie and they're smiling and their, their facial features are showing that they've been pulled in to that movie and the culture of it and what the movie's trying to say. And the same is true with, um, looking at some videos in 4K that are nature. So again, those of us who live in cold climates can also do that. I try to actually do that a couple times during the week in the uh, winter months when the outside of my home is rather cold and snowy and uh, nothing really is growing well. And another thing is the importance each as we go through each day is make sure we are practicing healthy habits throughout the day. Or the meals we eat, they should be wholesome foods. They should be good foods. Making sure we're taking a little time to exercise according to our age and our existing physical health. And again, I know that depending on age and physical health, the exercise might be different. It might be limited depending on our physical health. But doing something 
to exercise our body, to uh, strengthen it, to get that air deep into our lungs and to be moving our muscles and uh, whatever's appropriate for our age and our situation. Making sure that we're getting the right amount of rest and a good night's sleep because that's what prepares us and gives us the energy to have that kind of productive and fulfilling day that we've been discussing uh, during the podcast. Mm -hmm. Socialize. We are social beings. Get together with friends. Uh, Pick up the phone. Talk to individuals. Have lunch with them. Uh, At least call someone on the phone. We are very social. Or in our technology today, you can use something like Zoom. They can talk to someone halfway across the earth and see them and see their facial features and almost like being there by using a technology like Zoom. So these are some of the days, to answer your question, these are just some of the ways that we can continue working on truly having a good and fulfilling day. Uh, As we get physically older, uh, do we have to give up on new goals and dreams? I've heard people say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Is that the right approach to life? That's really absolutely the wrong approach to life. If you really want to have a life that is enriching and fulfilling, you have to discover some kind of passion. You have to discover something that gives you a reason to get up in the morning and preferably that makes you want to leap out of bed in the morning to do those kinds of things. And Whatever it may be, first of all, discover your passion, make an effort to do that, and then make sure that you're spending 15 to 20 minutes a day, no matter how busy you are, at least 15 to 20 minutes a day on some personal passion. And that may be developing a hobby or just enjoying the benefits of a hobby. It may be something that's school-oriented. Maybe you want to further your education, so you're going to take an online class. Maybe it's writing a journal or writing the great American novel you've always wanted to write. Whatever it is, do what you've always wanted to do. And as we get older and more time in our hands, it's amazing the things that we can do that don't cost much money. Uh, You can write a journal, you can write a page a day in a journal, and that's going to cost you virtually nothing. A lot of hobbies that we can do don't have to be expensive hobbies, but depending on our life situation, there are just so many different things we could do, and we should never allow age to be a barrier if we are in the kind of health that we're able to do some things. I'll give you some examples. There was an Irish racer named Rosemary Smith. She became the oldest person to drive a Formula One racing car at 79 years old. There's Pablo. <laughs> <Little> <laughs> yeah, isn't it amazing? Pa- little old lady from Pasadena. <laughs> from Pasadena, exactly. And she wasn't allow- about to allow her age uh-huh. to get in the way of her achieving her goals. Pablo Picasso, we've all heard of them. him. When he was 87 years old, he produced 347 engravings in one year at 87 years old. Mm. A woman named Nola Oakes, and at age 95, received her bachelor's degree from Fort Hayes State University. So the point is, as long as we draw breath, We are never too old to set new goals or reach towards our dreams. And that is so important for us to realize and not to give up and not to buy in to our culture that just basically says 
uh, sit around the house with no purpose and no goals and let us tell you what you should think and let us consume your time and let us establish all of your goals and everything that you're going to do. Uh, we're all aware of Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? Well, mm. Colonel Harlan Sanders started Kentucky Fried Chicken when he was 65 years old. And this was a man who experienced a number of failures in his life, in his business life, in his personal life. My favorite that I read about him is at one time he was a lawyer, but he got in a fist fight with a client in a courtroom, and that ended his his uh, career <laughs> as a lawyer because no <laughs> one would hire him after he got in a fist fight with his own client. But anyway, at age 65 years old, the man has failed in a number of things, and he started Kentucky Fried Chicken. He started with a savings of meager savings of a few hundred dollars. And are you ready for this? Yeah. He started Kentucky Fried Chicken with a $105 a month Social Security check. Wow. Now, granted, that equals about $1,000 today, but still to start a business on a $1,000 a month check that you're getting from Social Security does not sound very encouraging or doable. Yet he was determined that this was a goal that he had, that it was something that he wanted to do. So for those that are elderly, those who are, who are getting older, find out what you can still do. We Yes, we may have declining health. We may have limited financing. We may have other challenges, but we can still do something. We can still have a passion about something. We still have the time and the personal talents to do something. So what is it for you? Maybe it's to write the book that you always wanted. Maybe a biography of your life so that your great-great-grandchildren can know what you were all about and your life experiences and the things that you learned. Again, you can write just half a page a day. And in 100 days, you'll have 50 pages written. Well, that's well on your way of having a journal or a book. It's very affordable. You can plant that special tree or bush or unique flower you always wanted. You can order it out of a catalog if it's not available locally. You can make that wooden bench or that planter box that you've thought about for years. Maybe you still have the original drawings from a magazine about making a planter box. Well, pull that out. That's something you can do. Call an old friend and strike up a new friendship. There's the classic example of John Adams and Thomas Jefferson who became uh, political enemies, and they got to the point where they hated each other. Of course, Jefferson replaced John Adams as president. They were opposite politically, but as old men, a mutual friend said to John Adams, if I recall correctly, I think it was Adams, he said, you know, why don't you write Thomas Jefferson and see if you two can create a friendship through writing because they lived in different parts of the country. And Adams did. And he said, you know, I think that we should get to know each other and our stances and our positions in life before we die. And over the next number of years, and by the way, those letters all still exist today, John Adams developed an incredible friendship with Thomas Jefferson, and they talked on virtually every subject possible in their letters from theology to gardening to politics and their differences in politics and they respectfully carried on a brand new friendship these were men who had formerly been enemies so that's something else that we can do take a short trip visit a place that you've always wanted to go to 
something that I tell seniors, if you know absolutely nothing about the Internet, don't don't let it scare you off. Get a used laptop and turn it on and promise yourself that I am going to learn what this Internet stuff is all about or get a cheap Amazon tablet. You can get a cheap Amazon tablet for fifty dollars. Turn it on and learn from scratch. It's okay. You're not going to kill it. But by doing that, you'll learn something brand new. You'll expand your world. There's no reason for us to be seen as seniors to be afraid of email and afraid of laptop computers. It's only because we haven't invested the time to learn about the technology and learn how to operate those things. So that's something else we can do. You can start your own YouTube channel. There was a woman named Judy Graham, Judy Graham, aged 80 years old, and she started a unique channel dedicated to knitting and knitting tutorials. Mm-hmm. And my favorite is an old lady who was of Sicilian descent. She actually was an American, and I'll try to pronounce her name. Clara Canicherry. She died now recently at age 98. She had a channel that she started the show Great Depression Cooking. And in this channel, she would recount stories from her childhood, giving her audience an insight into life during the Great Depression. Her site, which is still up today, it's run by family members, 1.2 million subscribers. I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm envious of, of her. But here was a lady in her 90s who started out with one thing, Great Depression cooking, something that she knew about, and she used a cell phone as a camera and microphone, so she didn't have to invest $1,000 in equipment, and she started a YouTube site that now has 1.02 million subscribers. Maybe my most favorite example is Grandma Mastananama. She's an Indian lady. The last I heard, and I think she's still alive, 106 years old. She started a channel that you can easily find on YouTube called Country Foods, in which she shows traditional Indian cooking. That's what the channel focuses on. She has 1.5 million subscribers, 479 videos on that site. Amazing. So here was someone, yeah, at, at that age, 100 years old, who had a goal said, I know something about cooking. I know something about traditional Indian cooking. And she created a YouTube channel. So these are just examples of individuals who have said, I'm not going to let age be a barrier. And uh, in the case of grandma here, she can't hear well. And if you look at her introduction video, she still sees, I think her eyesight's 20-20, but she can't hear very well, uh, particularly at that age. But she has just created something phenomenal here. But if you don't want to start a YouTube channel, you can do things like serving at a local food bank. You can serve at a local shelter. You can get involved in a church activity a half a day a week, doing something to help an organization or help people. You can do something that's entirely brand new that you've never done before. What I want to encourage everyone to realize, particularly seniors, is you can believe that life is worth living. You have talents that you haven't even discovered yet, but you can discover them if you're willing to try something new and if you're willing to try 
different things. Mm -hmm. Whatever you do, don't give up on life. Never give up on growing. Never give up on changing or exploring new things and doing something brand new in your life. That's what gives life its spices. That's what gives us the desire to get up in the morning and leap out of bed, not just walk out of bed and grumpy and, and miserable. It is like the old saying, the difference between an optimist and a pessimist are the, they say the same three words. An optimist wakes up in the morning and the first thing he says is, good morning, God. A pessimist wakes up in the morning and they say, good God, morning. <laughs> well, so we don't want to be like the pessimist, right? We no. want to be enthusiastic. We want to love life. We want to glean the most that we can from each and every day. Well, this has been just very, very helpful and very encouraging because I know many people, of course, I'm retired now myself, mm -hmm. and, and not that I'm looking for new things. I have plenty of things that are consuming my time and that I love doing, mm -hmm. but there are other people who are frightened by the fact that they're going to get away from schedules that they have confined themselves to, and what will they be doing? And they can actually be doing things that are helpful more for themselves personally, for their family, and for others. Definitely. Greg, it's just been really wonderful hearing all these things. I feel like we have enough here to talk about for some time, even, <laughs> on, even on the subjects that we have here. Sure. Well, thank you, Vic. It's been a pleasure, and I hope the folks out there listening to the podcast were able to glean some real benefit and some helpful tips and some helpful things from the podcast today. Well, I know that People will be wanting to have not only what they have heard here, but also more tips about how to have a fulfilling and productive day. Because as you spoke about all the heroic people who are older, I thought you were going to mention Grandma Moses there too. She's one of my <laughs> artists there. You talked about the last grandma there. But I, there are just so many encouraging stories mm -hmm. that could be very fulfilling for, for people, uh, people in their midst. So, uh, Greg, anything else that you want to say on this uh, episode? No, just thanks so much for your time today, and I look forward to us getting together again. Well, I do too, because I know that people ask about this podcast, and I just want to remind you again that you can learn more about Greg's trading skills on his YouTube site, and it's easy to find. Type in Leadership Excellence on the YouTube homepage search bar, and you will find him. And also, I wanted to mention that Greg has two books that he has make available at Amazon, Making Life's Puzzle Pieces Fit, and also 52 Leadership Tips. We'll mention these in the notes here with the podcast. So, Greg, it's been wonderful having you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Vic. It's been a pleasure. We thank you, our listeners, for joining us here today for The Cubic Report. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please share it and tell your friends about it. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Podbean, which includes information about this podcast, Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, Pocketcaster, and other podcasting platforms. You can easily find us on any browser address bar by simply typing in the words, The Cubic Report, and there we are. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your impressions and suggestions. So write to us at thecubic at gmail.com, v-k-u-b-i-k at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon.